Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your goodness is running after us. Lord, that you are a God who's so good that you love us. You love us and you offer us and you give to us the gift of salvation, the gift of your Holy Spirit, even though we're a people who don't deserve it. Lord, we deserve nothing good from you. All good gifts that, that come to us from you are from your grace and your mercy. So we thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, as we look at your word today from Isaiah chapter 1, I ask, Lord, that you'd give us humble hearts that are ready to receive this message. Also, Lord, teach us about of being a people of worship, that we would be a people who worship and that that worship would flow from love. Lord, that we would be so, so uh, uh, in love with you that we cannot help but sing. We cannot help but praise. We cannot help but hear, listen, and digest and to live out the message of your word. So Lord, I pray that our worship would flow from love. And I pray that our service towards our neighbors would also flow from love. And Lord, above all, I pray that we would come to a, a deeper understanding of the love that you have for us and the message of the gospel, that you love us with an everlasting love and that you give us your righteousness as a free gift. We are clothed in your righteousness today because of what Jesus has done, because of his love poured out upon the cross. So Lord, open our ears, open our hearts. Help us to receive from your word today. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen. So today we are going to the first chapter of the prophet Isaiah. We've been going through our uh, lectionary readings. The assigned readings have been taking us through uh, some Old Testament lessons from Genesis and now uh, through some prophets. And now we're coming to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah the first chapter. So we're going to begin reading in Jesus' name. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, and then continue with verses 10 through 18. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah preached to Jerusalem and to the nation of Judea for, scholars say, for up to 40 years. For 40 years, Isaiah was faithful to preach the word of the Lord. And it's very interesting that he preached for 40 years and many people would not listen or receive his message. Can you imagine for 40 years preaching to a congregation and the people would not listen or receive the message? But many did. And Isaiah was faithful. Here is uh, the word that Isaiah declares, beginning with verse 10. Isaiah says, hear the word of the Lord. And remember, he's, he's speaking to the people of Jerusalem, the city of God, and the people of Judah, those that remain somewhat faithful of the 12 tribes. Amen. He's preaching to those who supposedly are faithful. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. You rulers of Sodom. Now Sodom and Gomorrah were those cities 
during the time of Abraham in Genesis that were destroyed because of their great wickedness. And here Isaiah is referring to the rulers of Jerusalem as the rulers of Sodom. Then he says, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And then he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Now, if you know the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible in the Pentateuch, God had given to the Israelites instructions about sacrifice. The Israelites were to bring sacrifices to the Lord. And the sacrifices of animals, the shedding of the blood of animals, would make atonement or cover the sins of the people. But he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. He says, I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of of well-fed beasts. Listen to this. He says, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Now, it isn't that their, that their worship was unbiblical. But he says this in verse 13, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure. Now, here's the key. I cannot endure iniquity, that is sin or wickedness, and solemn assembly. Amen. So their worship... The details of their worship may not have been wrong. They could have been following, you know, the, the letter of the law regarding worship. But their hearts, their hearts were in the wrong place. So he says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, he says, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood. So he says in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. He can't bear iniquity mixed with worship. So he says in verse 17, learn to do good. Seek Justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Then in verse 18, he says, come, now let us reason together. In the Hebrew, it's almost like he's saying, let's settle this. Let's settle this dispute, says the Lord. And here's the good news, the sweet news, uh, the, the good news of the gospel. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, though we're stained with sin, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though your sins are, are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the two main points of my sermon today, of the sermon given today, are this. Uh, number one, the law calls us to worship and service that flows from love. So our worship should flow from love. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we read in Isaiah 1, 18, cleanses the repentant from the stains of sin. So the law calls us to worship and to service of our neighbors that flows from love. And the gospel of Jesus Christ cleanses the repentant from the stains of sin. So first of all, the law calls us to worship, to worship that flows from love. If worship is all about what you want, if worship is all about what you desire, then is it really worship? You see, worship is first and foremost about glorifying God, bringing glory to his holy name, lifting up the name of the one true God. That is what worship is about, amen? It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about having my uh, emotions, whatever, tickled. I want to say manipulated, because I think that might be happening in some churches. So it seems like much of the, the worship within North America today is about tickling people's emotions. Come on. Amen. Say it again. Worship of the one true God is about bringing him glory and honor. So we don't sing the songs that we sing because you like them. We sing them because they bring glory and honor to God. And we don't preach the sermons that we preach because you like them. We preach them because they bring glory and honor to God. So worship is about bringing glory and honor to God. So our singing and our preaching is focused on Him. And really, this is what the, the world needs. It may not be what the world wants, but it's what the world needs. You see, the world needs singing and preaching that brings glory and honor to the one true God. So we're not here to give people what they want. We're here to give glory to God. And we're here to serve the world by giving them what they truly need. Now imagine going to a doctor that prescribes what you want. Never been to a doctor that prescribes what I want. You know what I want? I want to sit on the couch with a big bowl of ice cream. But I've never been to a doctor that prescribes me what I want. 
My doctor always tells me the truth, and I'm so grateful for, for my doctors that have told me the truth. My doctor says, Adam, you're overweight. You need to lay off the sweets. And you need to get some exercise. <laughs> Amen. Something that I don't want to hear. Because I love the sweets and I love the couch. And I don't want to get up and exercise. And I don't necessarily want to eat the healthy foods. A good doctor gives her patient what he needs. Oh man, we need this in the church. So we need churches that proclaim what people need, not what people want. And when we give people what they want in the worshiping life of the church, we're not really loving the people. Because it wouldn't be very kind and loving of a doctor to, to, to tell me everything I want to hear or to prescribe to me everything I want the doctor to prescribe to me. It's not very kind. It's not kind at all. And we're not loving God. So our worship needs to be a worship that flows from love. First of all, a love that glorifies and honors God. We love the Lord and we want to glorify His name. And we love people. So we want to and we desire to give to the people what they truly need. And that is to know the God who is worthy of our love, of our worship, and of our devotion. And today we have churches that bend over backwards to give people what they want. For what? To fill churches? To fill churches for what? To what purpose? So let us love God in our singing, in our preaching even when the world wants nothing to do with it. But I do believe that there always is, there always is a, a remnant of people, there, there is a, a people that are hungering for God. They're hungering for, for, for a worship that expresses a love for God, and they're hungering for churches that, that truly do love others. Why do we love the Lord our God? Well, it's commanded. It's commanded. The law commands us to love the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You've heard this before. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The law, the law of God commands us, commands us to worship that flows from love. And then the law calls us to service, to serve our neighbors. A service that also flows from love. 
Leviticus 19.18. In Leviticus 19.18 we read, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Old Testament called for a worship of God that flowed from love and then a worship of our neighbors that flows from love. Now we're a people who are addicted to serving ourselves. We're a nation that is addicted to serving ourselves. But the law of God points us to our neighbors. And the law of the Lord commands us to love our neighbors. So many of us are addicted to loving only ourselves and serving only ourselves. And we forget about the needs of our neighbors. Now a side note, many are addicted to serving. They're addicted to serving to their own detriment. In other words, there are many people who do not know how to say no. But that's for a different sermon. There are many people who give and give and give and they burn themselves out. Now this week, uh, after this service, my family and I were going on vacation. And we're resting. And it's good to do that because if we do not rest and take care of ourselves, then we will have nothing to give to those who are in need. But that's for a different sermon. Sermon for today is, is the other side of the, of the extreme. You see, we're people of extremes. Either we're going to serve ourselves or we're going to throw ourselves totally into something. We don't know how to say no. We can't find that balance of rest and service. But I believe that we are, many of us are, a people who are addicted to serving ourselves. The law calls us to a worship and a service that flows from love. You see, love is the, that thing that kills selfishness. It's that thing that kills selfishness. If you love others, if you love others, you can't be selfish. Love is that thing that moves us to serve others. If you love, you can't be selfish. The two don't go hand in hand. They don't go together. Love for neighbor and selfishness, they they cannot mix. Because, Because love is the opposite of selfishness. So those who love serve. Those who love give of themselves to the needs of others. So the law is all about loving God and loving our neighbor. That is how we we summarize the law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments, that's a summary of the commandments. But those in Jerusalem did not love. And because they did not love, they mistreated the poor and the oppressed. There's a lot of injustice happening within Jerusalem and Judea. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in verse 17. He said this. God says, learn to do good. Seek what? Justice. Correct 
oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Be a people who love your community. Be a people who love your neighborhood. The law calls us not only to worship, but also to service that flows from love. So I ask the question, how are you involved in alleviating the suffering of others within our community? How are you involved in helping the poor or the oppressed or the needy? How are you giving yourself to others who are less fortunate? Some of you might be wondering, what can I do to help our community? How can I give of myself and love to my neighborhood? I won't tell you, I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing. I'll let Jesus tell you what you should be doing. So we go to Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the 34th verse. And Jesus gets specific. Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here it is. Those who love their neighbor, these are the things they do. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. That simple, church. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. This is why we help within our community. When we bring food here to the church, that food goes to help uh, families in need at Cedar Valley Elementary School. When I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. What did we do this past Advent, we raised money to dig two wells in Chad, Africa. So that people who walk miles to get dirty water can have a well in their own village to receive clean water. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. On the coldest nights of the winter here at Maple Park Church, we open our doors for the homeless. And the homeless have a place here where they can receive shelter. That's an opportunity for you too. You can volunteer with the We All Belong cold weather shelter. What a great way to get to know our homeless neighbors and to serve our homeless neighbors. I was a stranger. You welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I love our quilting ministry. We're our quilting ladies. I don't know if they're, they're here today. We have one of them here. Yeah, we have two here. Thank you so much. And I've received other blankets, too, from other people. I've gone on calls where people's houses are on fire. The last one I was on, uh, the gentleman didn't have any shoes or a shirt on. And I'm able to give them a blanket that's made by the ladies of the congregation. Um, I was sick, and you visited me. Many of you serve in visitation ministry. You go and you visit those within our congregation who need visits. I was in prison and you came to me. Is anybody here involved in prison ministry or jail ministry? 
I don't think anybody is here yet at Maple Park. My prayer that one day we'll have a call upon one of your lives to serve in a jail ministry. When I was in seminary, actually probably my favorite, my favorite uh, practical thing that I did with uh, just everyday practical theology classes uh, was to go visit the jail, the Otter Tail County Jail in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Uh, what a joy. I was scared to do it, you know, to go in behind the, the locked doors. And, but to go in and sit down with these men and to have conversations with them, it was a real blessing. And to open the scriptures and to share the scriptures with them was, was huge. So I was in prison and you, you came to me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you, Jesus? Jesus, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We think we're serving our neighbors, but actually we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ when we do that. And then there's a, a warning that we should take heed to in verses 34 through 46. Then he will say to those in his, on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there is a warning, church. There is a warning. This is a true warning. This is real. Not made up. You see, God's law commands us to love. To love God and to love our neighbors. And the two go hand in hand. You can't say that you love God and have no concern for your neighbor. The two go hand in hand. And if you don't love God, if you don't have that relationship with God, if you don't love Him, then I don't believe that we can truly give to people what they, they really need in life. So in what does God delight? In what does He delight? He delights in a worship that flows from love. And He delights in service to neighbor that flows from love. The people of Jerusalem and Judah had forgotten Deuteronomy chapter 6. They had forgotten Leviticus 19. So God says, I've had enough. He says, I do not delight in your worship. He says, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. He says, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. He says, I will not listen. Church, I need to be honest with you. Do you know what the, the commands of the Lord 
the law of the Lord does to me scares me. Me too. <laughs> the law frightens me. Because I, I wonder, am I doing good enough? Am I loving enough? Is God going to, to condemn me? Because I don't love the way I should love. So the law strikes terror in my heart. Scares me. And, and then when I'm honest with myself and I really look at, at God's law... And when I look at my heart, I realize that I'll never be able to live up to the standard of God's righteous and holy law. I'll never be able to love in the way that God commands me to love. And I'll never be able to, to serve others in the way that God calls me to serve others. So the law brings this deep conviction and, and this, this uh, realization that I need another word. That I need not only the word of the law because it's so good in my life, but I need another word. I need the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is why I'm so happy that God doesn't stop with the law. He also gives us the gospel. God himself in the gospel is the one who gives love. In the law, he demands love from us. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he demands nothing. He freely gives his love to sinners like you and I. Did you know that the command to love is not the gospel? People get this confused. They believe that the command to love is the gospel, but it's not the gospel. We need, to, we need to have a proper distinction between the word of the law and the word of the gospel. You see, the law demands from us, but the gospel demands nothing from you. The gospel only gives and gives and gives. And the gospel is what the prophet Isaiah declares in verse 18. God says, come now, let us reason together. It's almost like he's saying, let's settle this thing. You've got a problem. And here's the solution. Though your sins are like scarlet, that's me. Stained by sin. They shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How can a person like me who, who never loves enough be cleansed of, of my sin? How is it possible for my soul to be pure again? It's only through the cleansing of Jesus' blood shed upon the cross. His blood, His blood cleanses the deepest and the darkest stain. So the point is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ cleanses the repentant from the stains of sin. Do you know how St. Augustine referred to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah? He referred to it as the fifth gospel. 
Because there is so much of Jesus in Isaiah. There is so much grace and mercy and gospel in Isaiah. You see, at the heart of the gospel is God's love for you. And God's love for the world. And how was that love demonstrated? Well, Isaiah tells us later on in Isaiah's prophecies. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah declares, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity, the wickedness, the sin of us all. The means through which we are washed clean of sin is something that we call the great exchange. The great exchange. The great exchange is this, is that Jesus, when I, when I trust in Jesus, when I have faith in him and what he, he has done for me, Jesus takes all of my sin upon himself on the cross. Upon the cross, Jesus absorbed all of my sin and all of your sin and the sin of all of humanity. So as Jesus hung upon the cross, he became guilty of humanity's sin. One preacher said that the greatest sinner who ever lived was Jesus as he hung upon the cross. Not because Jesus ever sinned. No, Jesus never sinned once in thought, in word, or deed. He was the pure and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as Jesus hung upon the cross, He took your sin. And He made it His sin. And He suffered the punishment that you deserve in your place. And we call it the great exchange because in exchange for that, He takes our sin and in exchange for our sin, He gives us his very righteousness. So you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God sees you, he doesn't see the stain of sin. Amen. He sees the very righteousness of Christ. Amen. When I look at the law, when I read the law, I see that I have failed. When I hear the word of the gospel, I hear that God loves me and that he's clothed me in the righteousness of Christ because the Lord has laid upon Jesus the sin, the wickedness, the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin. He absorbed this, our sins, and he knew no sin, so that in him we could be declared righteous. Sins not only washed away, but, but credited with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is love. God gave his one and only son so that in him, through faith in him, we would become the righteousness of God. 
not because of the good things that we've done, but because of what he has provided for us. You know, there are times when I've, I've been interacting with people, and, and you probably have felt this way too, and I think to myself, I wish I could take their pain away. If you've ever had children before, you know this. You say, I wish I could take their pain away, and that I could, could have that pain, just so that they could experience freedom from that pain just for a little while. It wouldn't be wonderful if we could take people's pain and carry that pain. Well, that's what Jesus did upon the cross. Amen. He took the pain of humanity's brokenness upon himself yes. so that we could be free. But here's the amazing thing. There have been other times where I've seen people in pain and I was happy that they were in pain. Because they made a stupid choice. Amen. Do this to our kids. Well, now you know you shouldn't do that. Right? <laughs> when, I, when I see those who have, have hurt the innocent and they, they suffer incarceration. I don't want to take that from them because they deserve that. They deserve prison. They should lock, up, lock that person up and throw away the key. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus took that sin too. And he made it his own. So even the vilest, most horrific sinners, Jesus died for that sin too. And he loves the person sitting in prison. He loves that, that person who did that terrible, terrible thing or lives that terrible, terrible life. And he took that too. You see, I would like to take some people's pain, but other people, I, I don't want to take their pain. But Jesus took it all upon himself. And we say, Lord, we don't deserve that. And it's true, we don't deserve it. But because he is a loving God, he gives it freely. So what should my life look like as a result of this grace? Number one, as a result of what Jesus has done for me, I should worship, have a life of worship that flows from the love of Jesus. Not just from the love that I can muster up in my own heart, but worship that now flows from the love of Jesus. Because Jesus loves me, I worship him. I worship him, and that is the love of Jesus flowing through me to the Father. And the same thing, a service that flows from the love of Jesus. So I serve not just because I have this internal thing within me that, that loves others and compassionate towards others, but because Jesus loves me so much and because of what Jesus does, has done for me, my service towards others is, a, is the love of Christ flowing through me and out of me into a world that desperately needs this message today. Let us pray together. 
Lord, we thank you and uh, we praise you. You are so good and you are so faithful to us. We thank you for your love. Help us to be a church that worships. That worships as an expression of the love of Christ working in us. Lord, we need that. Lord, help us not only to worship, but to serve, to serve our neighbors as an expression of the way you've served us and the love that you've poured out upon our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone who's here today that needs to be free from the guilt of sin, I pray that they would know that they are loved, that their sins Though they're scarlet, though there are deep stains of sin on their hearts, that you can wash them and that you have washed them through the shedding of your blood. Lord, I pray that all of us would walk out of here not with our heads hung low because of our failure, but that we would walk out of here with our heads high, pointed towards you. With, great, with grateful hearts for what you have done for us. Lord, this is a work that only you can do. So Lord, do it in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.